0: Hey, really quickly, I want to give you a heads up that we are building The Inspiring Talk to become a go-to personal transformation podcast in India, where we bring deep insights that can help you grow in your mind, body, and soul. For that, I need your help. I want to hear from you on what are the episodes that you want to hear on The Inspiring Talk podcast, and also what are the episodes that you really enjoyed, and what are the episodes that you didn't like a lot. And if there's any other feedback that you want to share with me that can help me serve you better. Find better guests who can bring deepest insights that can help you transform your life. And for this, I want you to go to theinspiringtalk.com forward slash feedback and fill a quick feedback form that will take less than two minutes. And I'll also link that in the description of this episode.
1: When we actually go ahead and uh, negotiate our salary in an mm. interview, if you know, we think that we can earn 5 lakh a month, but you know, the interviewer comes back and says that, okay, I'm going to give you like a lakh and a half, suddenly the anchor changes, right? Mm. Now you're sort of moving around that anchor only, maybe you'll come to two and a half lakhs, mm. but you will not really shoot up to mm. five lakh. I have really concluded that if you don't have a logical mind, you cannot go one step ahead and sort of create things Mm. You know, in a creative mind, sort of build things in a creative mind. Our mind bases the information, or takes decision, or moves ahead, or makes judgment and choices, bases just the last information that we got in our life. There is no confusion about the fact that the heart pumps blood. Yeah. Right. But when it comes to mind, there is no universality that we really know. Mm. There is nothing that that yes, this is the structure of the mind. This is how the mind acquires knowledge. We have no clue.
0: From Wine Studio, you are listening to The Inspiring Talk, a show where I bring the conversations with today's most successful and inspiring personalities to help you take your life, business, and career to the next level. Our mind is one of the most fascinating organs in our body. Every single minute, We are thinking so many thoughts. We are consciously or subconsciously making a lot of decisions. Our mind helps us become creative, be logical, and so on and so forth. So in this episode of the Inspiring Talk podcast, we try to uncover our mind, how you can be really more creative. And most importantly, I'm sure you must have heard that we are the result of the decisions that you have taken in the past but what are the things that drive our decisions? What are the biases that we have? Maybe there are some decisions that you are making automatically without thinking about them, and you don't even realize that you have some biases for certain kind of decisions that you make. So this episode, we try to uncover that all and share all about thinking, how you can be creative. And one of the interesting things we discuss is you can't be creative without logic. And for us to help us understand this, I have invited Ashish Chawla. Ashish is a CA who used to be Chief financial officer of one of the billion dollar companies out there, Go Ibibo, and now who is a creative entrepreneur, actor, writer, and guitarist. Ashish is one of those people who have gone really deep to understand the mind. And in this episode, he talks about two brain modes, automated and reflective modes. He talks about how our brain captures information. He also talks about how you can really be creative and he decodes what are emotions. What does even thinking means? How can you think better thoughts? This episode is full of information and you will realize there is so much depth and layers to every single thing that we discuss in this conversation. I'm sure you are going to find a lot of intense value pay attention and make a lot of notes is Ashish shares mental models that you can use to make decision so that you are not influenced by the biases that you might have. Let's get started. Ashish, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Lovely to be here. You know, I was looking at your work and I realized that in the space of understanding mind and understanding how we take decisions was really fascinating. And on your website, you have this test called thinking test, right? That's correct. So I took that test. Here's the result. And I want to start from there, right? It says your overall thinking score is 55%. Is that bad?
1: No, that's on an average. It's like pretty decent. Like, you know, I generally get like a score of around 25 to 30%. Oh, okay. Yeah. So
0: a little above average. I, I would, uh, It says I would say your that.
1: Thinking has been assessed
0: on three parameters. Clarity, creativity, and confidence. And it rates clarity 35%, creativity 50%, and confidence 80%. Oh, nice. Yeah. Can you explain what this test is and what are each of these parameters are and how did you sort of come up with this?
1: No, so it's a very simple test, basically. You know, it's basically designed by me where it has just 16 questions. It's a five-minute test and with very, very interesting take on every question. And it's like a multiple choice question where you sort of choose... You know, the questions are so interesting that you would want to sort of go ahead and take this test. So you choose a choice, like you, you know, select a choice and then you move forward and you complete the 16 test and you get an email. So this test basically is, as you rightly mentioned, is uh, covering three parameters. First is clarity, the other is creativity, and the next is confidence. So just to like very, you know, on a broad way, just to like sort of explain what these three parameters really mean. Clarity really means that, you know, are you able to sort of see things as is? Are you able to sort of see the similarities between things and differentiate it from the rest, from the nearest relatives of those particular things? And can you sort of clearly understand what exactly the concept is about? You know, so that's what clarity of thinking is that can you really like critically think what exactly the question is and what is the answer for that question? And do you have like a cause and effect, a logic for whatever you sort of bringing out? Creativity is a, a very interesting topic and people really get confused by this whole concept of creativity. Very simply put, creativity, according to me, actually is and, you know, I've done like extensive research on on creativity. And in fact, my whole career has now moved from logical, analytical thinking to actually creative thinking. Creativity is that can you actually look at two different situations and then can you find which are not connected to each other? And can you actually find a connection between the two? An example that is sort of coming to my mind. I run a creative agency, you know, and uh, uh, we were asked to sort of. Uh, For one of these top brands, we were doing a a campaign for printers, you know, and we were supposed to come up with a creative idea. And what they were really, the client was facing was they were facing some issues as far as the jam of printing papers is concerned. And that was this new product that they were launching was solving. That was a problem that they were solving. So they wanted to sort of create something which was uh, interesting, had a hook, was engaging. The idea was that people should understand it, relate to it, and yet also get the idea that it's a functional thing that they're sort of trying to solve. So we thought that, okay, what basically jam can be, you know, sort of related to? So a paper jam actually we sort of, you know, related it to a traffic jam Mm -hmm. and you know figured out like can there be some similarities between a traffic jam and how you really feel and a paper jam and how you really feel and can those be combined? So just to explain broadly, creativity as per me is that, you know, you have two different things which are not related to each other, but can you think out of the box Mm -hmm. and can you sort of Bring connect those, those connections, connect those connections. So it's all about making connections. Mm-hmm. So that's what really creativity is. No, I totally agree to that. Yeah, because, yeah. Uh, yeah absolutely. Because we run a
0: creative company as well. And every single time we need to think of an idea. And my approach is like, okay, oftentimes I feel that the first idea that comes in our head is the most obvious ones. Yeah. Right. And uh, is it the obvious idea or what is not so obvious idea that we can go into? And for you to come up with that not so obvious idea. And, and also the one of the things that I've learned is. For you to connect those dots, you should have collected enough dots first.
1: That's correct. Right? That's correct. Since you yeah. exposed
0: yourself to so many ideas, yeah. now that you can connect to you know, yeah. those dots.
1: That's a brilliant point, Vijay, that you brought up. But one is actually that you are connecting, you've experienced enough in life and you're connecting a lot of dots subconsciously. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe because you've like sort of thought through and figured out, okay, that there is this commonality, similarities between various things. And your mind is now mature enough to integrate a lot of things together. And the other approach is actually to really understand how the mind functions, understand the universal identity of the mind and figure out that how mind is actually really making concepts and then can you deliberately do it. So let me give you an example. Uh, Since you brought this topic up, I think it's very close to my heart. And, you know, I'm talking about like stereotypical thinking, you know, and that you come up with the obvious answer. There was this uh, this spectacle company, you know, who was making spectacles and they wanted to increase the sale of their, spare, you know, they, yeah. they wanted to sort of grow their sales. So they went with an assumption that customer is the king. Of course, you know, you take the spectacles, you take to the customer, do the survey, you understand where the problem is, really understand what the pain points are. And then you come back. And you implement those and hopefully the sales will increase. Mm -hmm. So that's exactly what they did. You know, they conducted like a countrywide survey and they came up with like 10,000 answers. And, you know, the answers that they came up was that uh, maybe the arms of the spectacles should be like larger or maybe the spectacles should come in different colors or the spectacles should uh, have a different nose pad and so on and so forth. Obvious answers, but like very good suggestions, I would say. But imagine if all those people would have stuck to this only. Their idea was to grow the sales so if they would have stayed in this position only then nobody would have come up with a thought called a contact lens like nobody would have really thought that okay there is a possibility to actually completely disrupt the market mm-hmm. eradicate or like some completely take away the spectacle thing and come up with a plastic thing and actually put it in your eye and that looks good even you know uh, you can flaunt your looks you can change your personality and at the same time it is disruptive now imagine if someone would have just stayed at that stage of thinking, then no one would have come up with something like a laser surgery. Mm-hmm. Like you can actually go and cut the cornea of the mm-hmm. of the eye and you can actually remove the contact lens itself. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing of spectacles of contact lens just completely goes away. That's, that's disruptive thinking. And I would say that is what creativity is. Can you actually really first of all understand what the box is? Mm-hmm then you can you logically connect it with all the other things that are there out there and can you then make like a educated sort of move towards disruption and creativity so coming back to yeah that's the, the test, second one yeah, yeah that's what really creativity mm-hmm. is and of course you have to f- understand how the mind functions to really deliberately move towards the whole creativity aspect and the third actually is confidence and confidence really simply means it's not like how well you can speak or how well you can like present yourself. It's really that that can you be independent in your thinking? Mm-hmm. Can you rely on your own mind to make your own decisions? So that's what really confidence is when the test is testing that ability of yours. So if you've scored 80, if I'm not mistaken, 80%, that's like a huge score, you know. So this is like a testimony, an example of what basically you were doing. This is not like a standard path that people would take, right? Doing a podcast, creating like this company that you're doing, and some amazing work that you do with the brands. That's like a very, very different path. Maybe it's now becoming common, but still, I would say it's still early stages. But you are not following the herd. You are actually understanding what your needs are, what your values are, what your goals are. You understand maybe subconsciously what makes you happy. And eventually, you know, you've sort of relied on your independent mind and taken a decision. And that's why and it reflects on your score as well. So kudos to you, you know, and I'm glad. that Yeah, but
0: the clarity I, is somewhere around 35%. But do you say that like having this awareness of where I stand in, in terms of these three different parameters, this is where I stand when it comes to clarity, this is where I stand when it comes to creativity and confidence, like you play with your
1: strength or you also work on some of the areas that where... So I would say that without clarity, the journey towards your goal just becomes longer. So if you have clarity, if you and clarity, really, when I say clarity, I simply mean when you if you understand how the mind really functions, you know, how you really should be making decisions is do you have even a methodology to really analyze things? If you have that, you know, in your arsenal, then the whole journey would be like if you've taken maybe like, say, so many years, maybe the journey would be like a lot lesser. So uh, that's the importance of clarity, I Mm -hmm. would say. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, creativity is just like a byproduct of clarity. Got it with due respect to Mr. De Bono, you know, the, he, Edward DeBono, Bono, who's sort of come up with this term called lateral thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've gone and read those books and all. Uh, and it really talks about, you know, leave your logical thinking, your critical thinking hat, just like go wild and start like thinking through. But all the work that I've done and all the research that I've done in, in this field, I have really concluded that if you don't have a logical mind, you cannot go one step ahead and sort of create things Mm-hmm. you know in a creative manner sort of build things in a creative manner so i would say lo- clarity actually is the base mm-hmm. then creativity follows and then confidence would be like you know you'll be like ve- even more confident to take the decisions because then you will have, have a, a proper set methodology and, yeah. of why you've taken this decision mm-hmm. so uh, i would say clarity is one of the biggest pillars or the foundations so how does one bring that clarity uh, that's a very interesting question. <laughs> that's where the whole research and the whole journey really lies. And I think um it really comes from first of all understanding again I uh, you know for the sake of repeating understanding how the mind really functions and how the mind really acquires knowledge. For example, I show you a picture of a chair and I will say what this is. You will go ahead and say that this is a chair. Mm-hmm. I will show a picture of another chair with a different shape, different size, different this thing color. And I'll show it to you. I will say what this is. You will come up and say that this is a chair. And I will show you 100 such pictures. And you will say that, yes, this is a chair. Right? But did you see all these chairs ever in your life physically? You didn't. Did our parents ever tell us that, okay, you know, all the chairs that are there in this world are chairs? no so there is something that has happened in our mind that our mind has done and seen maybe 3 4 chairs when we were growing up and seen something you know the mind did like maybe looked at some similarities and generalized that all these actually are chairs uh, so what exactly happened in the mind that is really about once you once you become obsessed about thinking about thinking you know then we will get really the answers of what exactly happened and this is a very simple answer to really tell you like you know this is a very simple way of explaining that we have no clue how we say that every chair that we see is a chair and we don't confuse it with a table Mm -hmm. or a bed or a computer or this mic you know but there is something definitely that subconsciously the mind has done which we are not aware of Mm -hmm. you know and taking this simple example to an emotion you go ahead and say that okay this is a friend these are the movies that i like uh this is hate This is anxiousness. This is stress. What exactly is happening in the mind? How did you really come to conclusion that this is what it is? Did we have a methodology to first of all understand what the mind did? Did we step back, zoom out and really reflect on what exactly is happening within the mind which is sort of making these concepts and how the mind is really acquiring knowledge? That is the whole effort that needs to actually go in Mm. to really get clarity. Why this becomes really difficult is that our mind actually is the doctor and the patient as well. Mm-hmm. To make you understand this, like, give, you know, give you an example. So, suppose if you're working on a Word document and if you're typing something and suddenly the Word document starts typing something that you're not typing and starts throwing errors. Yeah. You know, you'll immediately get to know that, oh, there's an error, mm-hmm. right? Now, imagine if this whole exercise actually had to be done by the software itself. Which is actually processing. So the software is processing, typing also, and also has to now zoom out and detect that there's an error. That is tough, right? Mm -hmm. That requires a lot of zooming out and really becoming more aware of what it is. And that's exactly what happens with the mind. And unfortunately, we are never taught about this. Nobody in our schools, in our even all the effort that our parents have also sort of put in, nobody has really spoken about or in detail about the identity of the mind and what I really mean by this is that you know when I say that heart has an identity Mm -hmm. say for example your heart pumps blood at a particular rate my heart pumps blood at a different rate but there is no confusion about the fact that the heart pumps blood right but when it comes to mind there is no universality that we really know Mm -hmm. there is nothing that that yes this is the structure of the mind this is how the mind acquires knowledge we have no clue You know, we just think that, okay, I'm a positive person. I'm a negative person. I have this attitude. So we talk in personalities. But if we really go back and see that why this personality got formed, why did our thinking structure got formed? And why do we think the way we think? And there is a reason why everyone is thinking differently because the software has functioned and really acquired some knowledge differently. But the way the, the software acquires knowledge is universal for all. Once we understand that at that deepest level, that's when we start untying the knots. That's when we start getting towards clarity, you know, and that's when we lay the foundation correct. Where does one begin? uh, uh do my course. <laughs> 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 no, but like uh, on a serious note, it's all about, it's about really understanding, you know, to really go to the level that is very deep in the zone. Uh, You have to first start with where you are, really, you know, and how you're processing information. Let me make it real for you. I can tell you that the way you draw a pig actually depicts a lot about the way you think. And I can tell you that how the way you would draw a pig, this is exactly how you think. Do you want to like, do you want to like give it a shot? Uh, you don't have to draw yeah, it. You have yeah. to just imagine drawing drawing yeah. a pig. So what you need to do is just imagine that yeah, I think a- I might be
0: a little biased because I've watched uh, the video of yours. Oh you have uh, in that. But, but then yeah. play along maybe. Yeah.
1: You know? Okay, sure. Right. Maybe, you know, people who are listening to this podcast have not done this. So yeah. you know, so just imagine that on a piece of paper you have to draw uh draw a pig. Okay. And just imagine drawing a pig in your in your mind. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. You've drawn a pig. Mm-hmm. Now the way you draw a pig actually tells a lot about your mind so if how big is your pig mm-hmm. if the pig that you've drawn is quite big on that piece of paper you really think that you're a very important person your opinions really matter that mm. you know what you really think and how you really think matters and you have a very high value of your own self but if the pig that you've drawn is small you know uh then you think the opposite you think that you know you may not be that creative you may not be that valuable you may not be your opinion doesn't Mattered so much uh which side does the pig face if the pig faces towards the left then you're a left brain kind of a person you're you're analytical you're logical you you know you think about data you analyze things in a very structured way but if it is you know it faces to the right then you are more creative you like music you like poetry you think in a very unstructured way how many legs does your pig have so if your pig has like four legs then you are very uh, balanced kind of a person. If your pig has two legs, then, you know, there's scope of improvement. (laughs) If there are no legs at all, then please, you must get get balance in your life. Now, how big are your ears? Mm. If ears that you've drawn are very big, then you're a very big, good listener. Mm. If the ears that you've drawn are small, then you're not, that good a listener. What is driving this behavior? in? Yeah, I'm, te- I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. coming at that. Yeah. I'm coming at that. How big is the tail? There's a research done about the tail as well that, you know, if the tail is long, then your sex life is great. If the tail is small, then the sex life is not that great. You know, maybe, maybe we'll have to sort of verify that research. But once someone draws a pig, you can really come up with a lot of understanding of how mm-hmm. the mind really functions. Now, what I want you to do is imagine on another piece of paper, uh, drawing a mouse. Mm-hmm. Just draw a mouse for me. And my question to you is, does your mouse by any chance look like a computer mouse? No, it doesn't. So I've conducted this exercise like a million times and 99.99% of the times, people uh, would draw a mouse that is an animal version, you know, Mm. and isn't it strange? Like we look at, look at the mouse pretty much every day. (laughs) It's simpler to draw. You know, but still we will go ahead and draw the mouse, which is more difficult. We don't look at it and it is like really tough to draw. Why does the mind really work like this? And it is so easy for me to sort of predict that, you know, you will go ahead and draw this mainly because our mind actually bases information and this is one of the ways uh, we take decisions our mind bases the information or takes decision or moves ahead or makes judgment and choices bases just the last information that we got in our life so imagine if i would have first of all all that i told about the pig was just made up by me you know mm-hmm. it's not true oh. yeah so <laughs> i was just framing your mind to sort of get you to draw this and not that you know, and that's what really the advertisers and those people who can manipulate with the mind do with our mind. And we have to understand, uh, you know, those people who are not even trying to manipulate our mind, just like throwing information at us, our mind anchors the information there, you know, so we start judging our last relationship, Basis the last relationship, we will judge our current relationship, basis the ideal relationship that we have, we'll, you know, sort of judge our current relationship. So there's an anchor that is being paste, placed. When we actually go ahead and uh, negotiate our salary in an interview, if, you know, we think that we can earn 5 lakh a month, but, you know, the interviewer comes back and says that, okay, I'm going to give you like a lakh and a half. Suddenly the anchor changes, right? Now you're sort of moving around that anchor only. Maybe you'll come to 2.5 lakhs, mm-hmm. but you'll not really shoot up to 5 lakhs. This is exactly what happens when it comes to bargaining with a uh, with a cop who's caught you jumping a red light. He'll say that, oh, the chalan is for 2,000 rupees, you know. Are you going to like come back and say that, okay, no, I have just like 20 rupees in my pocket? No, you're going to sort of move around 500, 1,000 mark, you know. So what I'm trying to say is that this is one of the ways that uh, our mind is getting influenced and we are not even aware of that. And we are making judgments without really knowing what is the reason, what is the base of why we are making this these judgments i can give you another example you know if you oh, this is really interesting yeah, yeah yeah i can really talk about the technical part of the mind but there is no point of doing that because then it would not be your own experience mm. like maybe you know people who have played along with this listening to the podcast if they would have played along with this thing they would have themselves experienced that yes their mind you know they got influence in drawing the animal version mm. now another case study in fact that i wanted to share was that there's this concept of dragon ear in the Chinese uh, tradition, so it comes after every twelve years as per Chinese calendar, and the belief is that those people who are born in the dragon year are very, very intelligent. Then they do well in their life. So the dragon year, which is coming in two thousand twenty-four, by the way. Mm. So if you're planning a uh, <laughs> planning a child, you know this yeah. is the right time to sort of no, right get married. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so what happens in China is that people start planning their family. To uh, sort of see that you know that their child is born in the year of the dragon, so there's this big belief that the person who's born in the year of the dragon will actually go ahead and do really well in life.
0: Mm. So
1: uh, there were two economists in the in Louisiana who really wanted to test this this thing. So they hypothesized and they said that okay, so if you know half a million extra children are basically born in the year of the of the dragon, dragon yeah, then Ideally, this means that in the classrooms, because the batch keeps moving, like the huge population that has been born in a particular year, the classrooms will be overcrowded, which will in the schools, which will mean that the teachers will actually be able to pay less attention to uh, uh, students, you know, so there would be not enough attention per student, which a teacher will give. So ideally the performance of these dragon kids should actually fall down Mm. because there's just like so much competition and so much, you know, less teacher attention. And so they created this hypothesis and this actually logically makes a lot of sense. And they went ahead and tested the data. So they adjusted all the variables, you know, of the data and sort of compared oranges versus oranges and, you know, went ahead and uh, said that, you know, wanted to see whether this hypothesis is correct or not. To their surprise, Uh, dragon kids outperformed the other kids by 20% in schools. And this was exactly the same trend that went ahead in colleges as well. Mm -hmm. So the reality is that dragon kids are actually doing better. So they wanted to really figure out what is the reason because there was no science to it. And eventually when they entered the psychology of how the human mind really functions, they figured out that the actual reason of why the dragon kids perform outperform other kids is Because of the belief of their parents. Mm -hmm. Their parents really believe that my child, who's born in a dragon ear, is eventually at least going to get a school education. At least going to get a college degree. Mm -hmm. And that's the belief that has actually gotten passed on to the child. And it's worked for the child, you know. Mm -hmm. So the software is set in a way. And as I said, the way you acquire the knowledge of a chair and you generalize things, that's exactly the way you acquire the knowledge of your own personality, of your own character, of your own Uh, own soul and your own self and that's how the self and subconscious mind really gets built and we'll come to that also so they started believing uh, that they're going to do well and eventually they did well so it's all about how the subconscious mind is really built and how it is like making you take decisions in your life and if you get the arsenal if you get the equipment really to understand how beliefs function, mm. how we acquire beliefs, that's the time when you will start uncovering all the details and really reach to the bottom. And then there are there are tools and techniques, sort of mental models to sort of move towards a right way of actually thinking. Mm. And so, so yeah, so it's all about really understanding how the mind really functions. And uh, just since we are talking about this whole concept of beliefs, I've given you an example of how the beliefs really good, you know, beliefs and expectations of others can enhance your performance. There are a lot of beliefs. In fact, most of the beliefs that we hold are actually sort of bringing us down. So what exactly is beliefs? Like if I were to like really break down the whole concept, belief is nothing but our ideas or the convictions that we hold or the thinking uh, methodology or the point of view that we hold, which we consider to be true, Mm -hmm. irrespective of the fact, whether those convictions, those ideas have evidence, Mm -hmm. they are are true in reality or not. Whether we have evidence of it or not, we think that this is true. Mm -hmm. And that's the belief that really gets formed. For example, you know, there is a belief that the earth is round. And there's also a belief that fairies exist. Mm -hmm. So depending on how your belief structure is really made, and how your entire Value structure, belief structure is sort of compiled off. That is what is sort of making you take the decisions in your life. Mm -hmm. So it's about reaching to the core and to the fundamentals. And Mm -hmm. as I, as I was mentioning, you know, there are really two kinds of beliefs, like, you know, having functional beliefs Mm -hmm. or having dysfunctional beliefs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, functional beliefs are like the earth is round, you know, Mm -hmm. that help you sort of make move towards this thing. All the dysfunctional beliefs, very, very, you know, a common example, if I were to really talk about is that my, degree that I hold actually decides the career that I'm going to take through or the job if I'm successful in my job that is a belief that it will lead to happiness these are a lot of dysfunctional beliefs that we are actually holding and there are million others of course Mm. which are actually sort of making us take decisions but the ultimate barometer ultimate test is that you know is the resultant emotion that is actually getting produced is it a positive emotion or a negative emotion so once we understand how the mind really makes emotions mm. also then we will then we are again giving ourselves the arsenal to dig deeper into the whole you know the game of mind or the the whole built of mind and that was one of the reasons you know uh how I sort of moved from a very very analytical career not that I was not having fun and yeah. you know what I was doing in my previous career was something that was right for me because my whole character my whole soul my whole self was built around that yeah. you know and if i would have changed then you studied yeah, ca and then yeah so just yeah, you're to, doing like, finance. yeah just mm. to give you a background like i you know my career has sort of moved across spanned across a few industries so i started working with companies like apmg and ge i did a lot of process consulting project management you know advisory audit role and then i moved into the e-commerce space and we were five of us who started this, one of India's first e-commerce companies. Mm-hmm. And we grew the company from five to 1500. I was heading finance there. And, uh, you know, I uh, was quite instrumental in sort of raising $65 million for the company. And then I moved on and uh, became the CFO of Goibibo. That was like, you know, uh, a billion dollar online aggregator, which everyone knows. And this uh, happened over a span of like 15 years of my career, first career. And I was having fun, honestly. Yeah. It, was, it was not that I was not... Uh, not enjoying. But it was around this time that I really started understanding, you know, how the mind really functions. Mm. I started doing so much research on psychology, started getting deeper into philosophy, started understanding the science of happiness, Mm. you know, started understanding uh, who I am and what are my value structures and so on and Mm. so forth. And eventually, you know, sort of reached a situation where I understood that, okay, Mm. how I would want to design my life eventually you know and i get, got to know that my degree is not really the end result you know is not deciding my career completely mm. i can design my life there is a belief that i'm holding because of a lot of anchors that have been placed by maybe my sibling mm. who's become a doctor yeah. my parents who set these expectations you know and and they were right for me you know their intention was completely right and it worked for me and i'm so glad that i went through all that journey and now i have the power to sort of see things be very clear, then go ahead and become creative and then become very independent in my decision making and eventually take a course that makes mm. both uh, a passion sense mm-hmm. and a business sense. Mm. You know? So that's how I sort of moved into the whole content space and started this content, creative content studio. And it's been eight years and things have gone going on. Uh, I think quite that's well.
0: a really, you know, uh, interesting journey from being in a completely logical numbers and facts Mm -hmm. to getting into the creative which requires a different skill set in the sense that you know you are using different parts of the brain right and Mm -hmm. and you are getting the knowledge and the kind of experience from the logical and then now you know in the creative right so So is it possible that for people to develop both of the left and right uh, kind of brains, like oftentimes people say that, hey, you know, you are left dominated or you are right. And we, like you said, right, we categorize people. Hey, you are logical. Hey, you are creative and you stay logical, you stay creative, but you know, is that?
1: Yeah, so, you know, uh, it's very important to understand and do the research and understand what is logic, what is critical thinking, what is creative thinking. uh, And also uh, I would really insist people to really bust this myth of a left brain and a right brain. Uh, There has been extensive research that has been done, which, uh, you know, sort of says that there is no left brain and a right brain, you know. And uh, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, creativity cannot happen without logic. The more logical you are and the more clear you are about the concept of creativity, uh, that's when you start becoming more creative. So it's about really understanding can you actually go ahead understanding how thinking really works can you see things and discover patterns you know can you then extract patterns logically and then put them together and generalize things later integrate a lot of things together the base is logical you can call it like a left brain thinking you know which eventually leads to right brain thinking so even if say i play i play music i'm like now almost like a concert uh, level guitar player And I've been playing music for like, you know, when I was seven years or so, I composed my first song when I was nine. And I've done like 1000s of brand jingles and so on and so forth. I realized that uh, the way I was composing earlier without really strong technical knowledge, I was composing stuff which I was happy about. But still, you know, I was lacking uh, that extra edge. But now that you know, I've sort of integrated a lot of stuff in music itself. I've sort of connected a lot of dots. I've gone ahead and studied it formally. I've become a little more logical about my practice sessions, how one song is related to the other, uh, how the other song actually got inspired from the previous song. You know, once I'm starting to seeing these patterns, that's when I think that my creations are becoming even even better. Uh, So to answer your question, it really starts from becoming clear And understanding how thinking works. And I can uh, very quickly give you an example or maybe sort of lay down the whole foundation of how thinking really works. Mm -hmm. There are three levels of consciousness, really, you know, and we have to understand how we are acquiring knowledge. This is like how we are saying that uh, this chair is a chair and all the other chairs that we now see, which we have not really physically touched upon are chairs. So that's how did that happen? So, if I were to really break it down, the first level of consciousness actually starts from our senses. Our senses really tell us that there is something that exists out there. It doesn't tell us what that something is. So, we'll see this glass and we'll know that, okay, there is this something that exists. A child is seeing this and he says that, okay... I see a lot of colors. I see a lot of this thing, but I have no clue what these are. But I know that there is something that is out there that exists, which is different from me. Then comes the second stage of thinking is actually the stage of perception. When we start Sort of getting into the identity of things. So, you know, I will start uh, figuring out that, okay, this table is a table. I cannot walk through the table. It is not transparent. It has a shape. It has uh, some color. It has some identity. So uh, this is a time when, you know, a child will start, say, differentiating between the skin of her mother Mm -hmm. And the surface of the table. So we start differentiating things. Basis, identity. Slowly and steadily. And then comes the third stage. Which is actually the concept formation stage. That is when I will club a lot of similar things into one folder. Mm -hmm. And I will give it a name. And would give it a word. In this case a chair. And that is knowledge. That is how I have sort of built a brick in my mind. And said that now I understand whether it is correct or not but at least in my mind i understand that this is a chair and now imagine if i would have formed a concept which is completely different from yours yeah. but it i still call it a chair mm. i'm seeing the world and seeing reality through that lens mm. that's the concept that i'm holding in my mind this is a chair for me maybe it is a table that i've just named it as chair and we will not make you know you'll you'll find it very you know simple that oh how can we call it a chair but this is exactly how it happens when it comes to, to higher level concepts, concepts of friendship, concepts of marriage, concepts of choosing a career, concepts of happiness, concepts of love, you know, how are we saying that this is the ideal life or this is the life for me? How did we really form a concept of friendship? What and is, is this friendship? ever changing? Of course, hmm. this changes once we understand and get deeper into the mind. And this is all science, you know, I uh the biggest problem that I really had you know I did a lot of went because I had a very curious mind I wanted to really understand so I went ahead went ahead and did a lot of religious studying you know then went ahead and did a lot of spiritual mindfulness studying but still my answers were not really getting resolved and once I started you know understanding psychology and then cre- you know sort of connected all the dots that's when my the doubts or everything started getting connected So this can definitely change once we get to know exactly how the mind functions and to really explain it to you in a very, uh, you know, simplistic way. There are two brain modes that we can really see at a top level, at a very high level. Once we go deeper, when we understand that everything is connected, but the two brain modes are like one is the automated brain mode Mm -hmm. and the other is a reflective brain mode. You know, what is an automated brain mode? An automated brain mode is, you know, a brain mode which actually thinks very fast, you know, is very instinctive. It is very emotional. It's really taking decisions immediately. It's the, you know, the whole subconscious mind that we really talk about, which I don't want to like really get into the technicalities because that's a huge space of the whole subconscious mind. And again, science, nothing, no spiritual, no religious talk that I You know, I'm doing here, so that's the automated brain. Okay, because you have a lot of
0: information already stored in your subconscious mind. You take things, decisions, and I'm I'm going
1: to come to that also. You know, uh, and the other actually is the reflective. Mind, The reflective mind is actually slow in thinking, you know, it goes, it zooms out and looks at all my values, all the goals, all the reality out there, and then it takes decisions. So it is reflective, it knows how to regulate its emotions and take decisions very, very after a proper introspection. For example, uh, if you're immediately attracted to a particular person or not attracted to physical appearance, That's the subconscious mind or the automated brain mode that is taking a decision, you know. But when you will actually go ahead and analyze whether, why am I not attracted? What is it that I should be really looking at in maybe making a decision and taking an eventual decision of maybe hiring that person or getting married to that person? Then that's the reflective brain mode that is playing uh, in your mind. There's so many people that we will see. And in a jiffy, Mm -hmm. we actually make our decisions whether the person is good, person is not good, whether I should hire, not hire, And the whole interview process or the whole introspection process is not really introspection really happening. But only our confirmation happening that we are taking up, you know, information, pieces of information to just confirm our first impression that we really formed. You know, so it is not reflective thinking. And the whole idea really is to move from an automated mindset to a whole reflective mindset. And why does this happen? First of all, why does the automated mindset You know, before I move to how we can sort of do this, it's very important to understand why the mind functions the way it functions. The reality is that our mind actually has a limited space. You know, that's one of the universal natures of the identity of the mind. Like we cannot be always reflective about a lot of information. We can only look at, you know, this much information. So to function in this world, what happens is that the mind goes ahead you know, it, it analyzes new information and then it goes ahead and sort of stores the information mm-hmm. in our subconscious, which basically becomes the, our character, mm-hmm. our soul, our self, whatever you would want to call it, a subconscious mind. And so, so then when the new information is actually coming in, it basically goes back and stores it, and that there's a whole process that is happening. When the inform- new information goes back, it gets scanned in our subconscious. You know, a lot of associations related, which are already stored in our subconscious, get activated. Mm-hmm. You know, and basis whatever is stored and the new information, the integration happens, and a new block in that whole space gets formed, mm-hmm. and the another story gets built in our subconscious. So. If that subconscious or the automated brain mode is not really worked upon, then the resultant consequent decision that is going to come out is going to be in your favor, not in your favor. Maybe chance will have it that or luck will have it that it works in your favor. Maybe it won't have it. And that's what the whole process of clarity is, you know. And there are, I would say, very easy techniques, Techniques before I really get into the whole base of it, To uh, at least have some thinking models, some mental models in our mind, uh, which at least gets us into a reflective stage of thinking. And I can talk about that. Yeah, so first, maybe you can talk about like you
0: already mentioned, reflective is more that you look at the data, and then you analyze and then only come to a decision, right? So, which... Logically, if you think about it, it makes sense. Yeah. That's how ideally you should be making judgment or decisions where you are looking at the different
1: parameters and then, you know. But the reality which I just proved is that, you know, I gave you a pig and you drew an animal version of a mouse, you yeah. know. So it is so easy to really go back into our automated brain mode. The example that I gave earlier of the spectacle company, yeah. can we really think out of the box and go to a decision where, you know, you can think differently. Yeah. Another, you know, Because I have like a, you know, since you just like touched upon, I just wanted to sort of give you an example of uh, Henry Ford. And I'm talking about the hiring decisions that he made. Henry Ford was, Hmm. just for the listeners who are listening this, uh, Henry Ford, of course, people know, but like was one of the pioneers of the whole auto manufacturing industry, you know, was he started Ford Motors and all. And he is uh, known to be a great thinker. So uh, what happened, you know, when he sort of grew the company to a certain level, uh, when he was hiring people at a very senior level, he would not hire the people, you know, take the interviews at uh, his office. Mm. What he would do was he would go to a nearby restaurant and he would order soup Mm. and have a normal conversation with with the person, just having like a general chit chat. And when the soup would come, he would actually wait and see what the other person is doing. If the other person actually puts salt and pepper in the soup without even tasting the soup, he would reject the person. So what I'm trying to say is that this is what the automated brain mode system is. We're moving ahead in such assumptive way. Our brain, you know, just thinks that, okay, soup is here or a pizza is here, put an oregano, yeah. put a chili flake. The soup is here, put the salt. But, you know, we think that we are being reflective in our, th- in our process. But the reality is that 99% of the time, We are not. And there is no other way out also. That's how the human mind functions. You have to understand that you cannot get rid of the automated brain. Uh, Once you become aware of all the biases or the assumptions or the way of thinking that you have, the idea is to first really get into a reflective mode and then eventually change your automated mode in a way that it starts sort of throwing up the right things. That's a process. That takes effort. So, you're talking about mental
0: models that one can use to sort of develop reflective
1: thinking or reflective mode. I would say, first of all, we have to understand what mental models are. Mm -hmm. Mental models are nothing but uh, uh, your way of thinking. Mm. Frameworks. Yeah, you could call it framework, but even if I were to like really... Uh, say it in a, even a simple laymanish way, your point of view, you know, how would you would like think in a particular situation. These are thinking tools as such. And yes, guidelines or frameworks, if you want to like sort of go into the technicality. And this is not the ultimate solution because our ultimate aim really is to change the automated function. But this definitely is the start process. These are your ammunitions that you have. Uh, really, you know, go through a checklist. So that at least you're in a reflective mode and you know what to exactly reflect on also. So the first mental model, which I would say, which is the mother of all models, is really the scientific way of thinking. And it's taken a while for me to sort of get into this. And now it's like an automated function that happens because I worked enough on my mind to start thinking in a reflective way. And now this has become my instincts. But to begin with, we should start analyzing everything in a very scientific way. Now, what does this really mean? And I'll give you an example also for this. Scientific way of thinking is that maybe you observe something, you have a question. Mm -hmm. Once you have a question, you would go ahead and do some research. Then you would go ahead and make a hypothesis. Mm -hmm. Then you would make a prediction. Then you would go ahead and sort of uh, test that prediction with reality. You will analyze the result. You would then, after you've analyzed the result, go back and form a theory Mm -hmm. or form a conclusion or theorize it or generalize it. So that's really what the whole scientific methodology is that reality should never be taken for granted. Whatever you have in your mind, whatever you are sort of getting from the world, you first of all understand that there are just like a million forces in your mind that is working. Can you have a way to test it with reality out there? And a very simple example, if I were to take, uh, you know, there is this Big notion that getting up in the morning is good for health, right? A very simple thing. Can you be actually scientific about about this? Can you really live in a more, uh, you know, mindful manner to understand whether this is true for you or not? So for you ha- is the yeah, key. For you is the key. Does it work for you in the reality that is there in this world? For example, I, you know, I, I look at a, a influencer talking on Instagram saying that, you know, getting up in the morning is great. So this is a notion that assumption that people have. So I would go ahead and do some research and I will do a chat GBT research. Is mm. getting up in the morning good? <laughs> chat GBT will tell us that, yes, getting up in the morning is great. I will do Google research and I've done my whole research and, you know, Doctors are also saying everyone's saying that getting up in the morning makes sense. I would go ahead and uh, then hypothesize and pre- and make a prediction mm-hmm. that if I get up at five a.m. in the morning, mm-hmm. this will result in a good mood and good health. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the assumption and the hypothesis that I have, and that's the prediction that I've made. Mm-hmm. Then what I will do is I will go ahead and test it out in reality. And I'm giving you a very very laymanish, simple example, okay, mm-hmm. here that how you can be really scientific in your in your approach of thinking. Mm-hmm. I will set up a time period of 30 days mm-hmm. and I will say that, yes, let's let's assume that maybe 30 days is good enough time period or not, but at least let's test it out for 30 days, whether this is good for me or not. I will uh, set up an alarm for 5 five a.m. I will get up in the morning at 5 a.m. for 30 days and I will note down how I feel emotionally at 6 a.m. and I will make a note of it. So maybe at for the first 10 days, I feel horrible. It's like something that I really don't want to do in my life. But after 20 days or maybe 30 days, I start feeling good about it. And that's the reality test that I've done. And then I will be able to conclude that whether getting up in the morning at 5am leads to good mood and good health for me or not is the question. That's how you sort of become independent in your thinking. And also at the same time, you're testing it out, out in reality. You're not having, you're not just holding a, a notion in your mind, a belief in your mind. You have a methodology to first, you know, research. research. You do the hypothesis. Yeah. Then you go ahead and you make a prediction. Then you go ahead and test it out in reality. Then you analyze the results. And then you go back and Decide Uh, whether you want to... Decide, you know, conclude. If it works for you or not. Conclude, you know, whether it works for you or not. And this is just like a simple example. Mm -hmm. You can sort of go take this to any stage Mm -hmm. uh, of decision making. Mm -hmm. Whatever you have in mind and you will be able to use the scientific methodology and, uh, you know, which should be used uh, so that you're not just living in your beliefs. Mm -hmm. You're going out there and testing things out in reality. Another mental model is uh, where you uh, actually understand you maximize the return of fa- on failure. What I mean uh, by this is that there are two variables that really are getting tested, mm-hmm. that the insights and the learnings that you're actually getting from the failures mm-hmm. in the shortest time span that you can, you know, that should be the endeavor. Can you actually go ahead, as I said, test out things in reality? Can you fail mm-hmm. and take out the results from those failures in the shortest time span and if you can that's when you're actually really generating higher returns on failure than lower returns so how you can do about it is there two ways first is that you have to first of all reframe the whole idea of failure uh, the way we are brought up the way we specifically something someone like me you know i i saw academic highs throughout mm-hmm. when you know, i was always good in studies i was i always excelled i started playing the guitar very early so i have always got like the adulation You know, I hardly failed in my life uh, as I was growing up. Then I became a chartered accountant, one promotion after the other and all, you know. So I did not really, you know, sort of fail. But I started facing failure once I got ahead in my life. And, uh, you know, new roles came up and I was not performing that well. Then I was learning and my whole idea of failure was very, very negative. You know, I really started thinking that how can I fail? I've always been a good student. I've always been something who I thought was, I believed that my mind was good. But I did not realize that actually life is throwing very new challenges. And uh, being a perfectionist is really going to hamper me. So can I really change, first of all, if I want to grow, can I change my whole frame, you know, reframe the whole thought of failure? Can I change that failure into experiment? Can I really change, uh, reframe that and say that, okay, this is an experiment for me to grow, to learn. Can I ho- you know, let go of that whole perfectionism thing? The, again, this is just a way of thinking. I'm cha- reframing the reality. The reality is just that. But for example, if this is the podcast I'm doing for the first time, And uh, I could really be scared Mm -hmm. and say that, am I even be able to answer these questions or not? Or can I really and not go ahead and, you know, take this step and say that, okay, I'm happy making reels, Mm -hmm. not coming out, uh, you know, in front of the camera, not really taking live sessions. I could do that. Or I could really say that, okay, this is an experiment. This scientifically leads to better connect. It leads to, you know, sort of fulfills my whole intent of why I'm doing what I'm doing in a better way. And yes, there is this inhibition, but can I really change this whole thing of my ideology or my thought process towards failure and my emotional response towards failure and convert it into an experiment? So that's the first step when it comes to like really thinking about failure in this whole return of failure thing. So lots of people don't go out there and talk on stage because they are fearful, but Really, the the research says that the better you are in your communication skills, the better you put yourself out there, the more chances you will get in career growth. So can you treat this whole thing as an experiment? So that's one. And second, can you actually shorten the time span of learnings that you're going to extract from these failures? So which means that can you, if you know, you get like uh, speaking gigs once in a month, Can you actually try and get four in a month? Mm. month? Can you get 30 in a month? Can you try out and uh, do an Instagram live? Mm. You know, can you put yourself out there in front of your relatives and talk? Mm. You know, so you are, you are trying to extract learnings by failing. And uh, that, that leads to success as well, because Mm. it's giving you the whole. Yeah. And as you mm. defined in the previous mental model
0: the metrics that you're going to look at, what is the outcome that you're looking at is something that you decide before you run the experiment, right? Absolutely, yeah.
1: So you have to actually have, it's not that, can I go ahead and test whether if I will jump from a cliff, I will survive or not. You know, that's plain stupidity. You have to be rational in your thinking as well. You know, so that's where decision making and understanding the mind and understanding critical thinking really comes into the picture. But now once you've concluded that, okay, going ahead and talking in in front of people and being in front of the camera or talking on stage is going to improve my personality, which eventually is going to improve my career growth and eventually is going to get me to the goal that I have always desired to. That's a set thing. And you've done enough test of reality, gone ahead and looked at people, done your analysis. Now there is something that is stopping you. Can you change your mindset in a way that it leads to a success? So and the only way that you can do is that you change your outlook towards failure. So that's another way of thinking. One thing that I call is RAT, you know, which is like risk of testing the most riskiest assumption test. That's what I sort of kind of name it. Okay, what's that? Uh, which means that, say, for example, again, in a very realistic way, you sort of decide to marry a person and you also love your family. Now, the riskiest assumption in this whole scenario is that will that person actually gel with your with your family? That's the riskiest of the all, you know, as per your value hierarchy structure. It could be different for someone else. I'm just giving you a hypothetical example. Now, before you emotionally get involved with that person, can you actually test that in some way to minimize your uh, learnings of that failure. Otherwise, you can go ahead and invest two years, do a living, you know, then get your family to meet, be completely emotionally involved and then maybe eventually figure out that, oh, this is not working. That's like, that's not the correct way of sort of moving it. This is like a personal example that I gave. There could be like an example where I say that, okay, I have assumed that this will work. Now the riskiest assumption in this whole business scenario is that maybe a competition will come up And uh, do this better. So can you first of all test that immediately? That would be the riskiest of the assumptions before testing out all the other things. You can, you know, pick up that. This is how you sort of reduce your time span and get the maximum learning out of the failures. So again, this is like just a way of thinking. Another mental model that you can actually build in in your arsenal that can test reality quickly. That's one of the ways of thinking. One, another way of, another mental model, which i really love, in fact, and this is, you know, something that Charlie Munger, who's the, uh, you know, who works very closely with Warren Buffet, their partners, he's come up with, and I I actually adore this inversion model. And this is so, such a simple way of thinking. It's called inversion, where, uh, uh, you know, the traditional way is that you go ahead and seek success, right? But actually, the inversion model says that how can you avoid, you know, being stupid? Like say for example, can you avoid being stupid consistently and that definitely will lead to success. Mm-hmm. So if you want to improve a relationship, you have to reframe your mind and thinking in a way and ask this question, what can I do to completely screw up this relationship? Yeah, And then avoid that. If you want to improve your business, what can I do to completely screw up this business? Avoid that. So again, a very, very simplistic approach of you know, another thinking tool. But this is the whole idea really is to move from an automated thinking to a reflective thinking. And these are tools of reflection. How can you be closest to reality, you know, and not really live in your emotions and in your beliefs? That's the whole idea. Is this the ultimate solution? No, and I'm going to come to that also. But these are definitely tools that we have, which can help us in Mm. in sort of moving ahead Uh, towards reality. One, another way, I call it the hamburger happiness model. Mm -hmm. And this could actually be like a very, very strong model of taking your life's decisions. Uh, And it's all about getting the ammunition to make the right decisions. That's what this whole podcast, I'm assuming, and this whole session is all about. So, uh, you know, there could be only four types of burgers. One is that the burger sucks in taste and is unhealthy. Like that is the stupidest way of taking decisions. If, you know, you're taking a decision and burger is just an analogy here, uh, which is like, it doesn't taste good also and it is uh, not healthy also, then please avoid that. That's like, that's like the bottom most burger that you should ever pick. And if I were to really give you an example, lots of rituals, let's not take a current ritual and not really, maybe people are deriving a lot of value out of that. Maybe this would be a sensitive topic, but, you know, one ritual was uh, uh, sati once upon a time. That was like a ritual that should not have existed at all. That's like you're taking the life of an an independent mind Mm. and you're depriving, maybe if they had children, Mm. you're depriving of the uh, children of both the parents. The person has died. The father has died. And now you're saying that the mother also should just go ahead and die. That's I'm giving you a very, very, you know, an obvious Mm. situation. But if you were to really analyze, we really take a lot of decisions in our mind. A very simplistic decision is remaining in a toxic relationship. Mm. That is a yucky burger and it is unhealthy as well. But we still continue to actually... Or the job that you hate. Or the job that we hate. You know, but the job may be giving us some values and I'm going to come to that. Maybe it's giving us the the financial security. So maybe it's a burger, not tasty, but at least it's healthy. You know, I'm not a believer of go ahead and follow your passion. uh, Because context really are something that we have to really understand. There are lots of people, great influencers, you know, I follow also, but, you know, they'll come and they have such huge fan followings and they'll say mutual funds is the way to really invest. But can you really pass this context, you know, this in a generalized way? The context is so different for so many people. That's when you start understanding the mind and understanding, you know, how to really extract things and figuring out what thinking is. That's when you understand how your context Really works. And that's the ultimate way of really reflective thinking and decision making. But to come to the burger analogy. The second burger which we touched upon is that the burger is not tasty. Tasty but healthy. But it is healthy. And you know the rat race that people really get into. It is at least giving us some benefits. The third burger that we have in our life is actually that it is tasty Tasty but not healthy. But not healthy. (laughs) Lots of people drink. Lots of people smoke. Of course, they derive a lot of pleasure out of that. That's good, at least, you know. It's a pleasure-seeking thing. But eventually, I mean, if we were... At least it doesn't work for me. Yeah, I, I don't want to generalize this. But it's like a decent example to really share. Uh, if you do anything in an excess, if you smoke in excess, there would be exceptions who, you know, people with who would have lived at 90 as chain smokers. But do you want to really, you know, sort of analyze your life based on such exceptions? Or do you want to be very scientific in your research? You know, and research says that if you're continuously smoking, if you're a chain smoker, you're not really going to survive long. There are possibilities of really going bad. So that's a a burger that is tasty, but absolutely not healthy. And that's like being in a pleasure-seeking in the moment zone. But the best burger is actually which is tasty and and healthy. That's based on the fact that how can you all enjoy the, the now as well as enjoy uh, something which is going to come in the future? You know, a very simple example is exercising, meditating every day. Mm. It works for me. Mm. You know, I'm talking about myself here. It gives me in this moment, my day, I know, okay, I get like a complete sense of how I would want to plan my day. Yeah. You mm. know, it brings me down into a reflective mode of state. St- helps me regulate my emotions yeah. working out uh, makes me feel fitter and eventually it has a compounding effect yeah. you know so it's a burger that is healthy and is tasty for me so if you if you're confused about making a decision then you should understand that life is not short passion is not everything you know you have to do a lot of things which are as per needs also it is not just interest but if you're going to completely ignore your interest you are then going to go into that character, in, into that zone where, which is a healthy burger, but not a tasty burger. So how can you really have a mix of it? And then the third layer of interest and needs I'm talking about, and you have to really understand what needs are. You know, there are uh, one need is like power, fame, money, yeah. but the that's, that's those are like the extrinsic motivations that you have. The true motivations are actually the psychological basic needs of autonomy, of competence Mm. of relatedness. These are the ones that actually, and you know, that's a whole new subject that I can really get into, which I would not want to get into too much detail. But, you know, if you understand that these are the basic psychological needs that every human being needs and research-based needs, if you understand your own value hierarchy structure, then you match it with your interest as well. And then you have like a third circle, which is your belief structure. For example, I may be very interested in playing the guitar. I may be very, would be very successful and it could help me sort of fulfill all my needs as well. But my belief structure is that I'm a chartered accountant, that I should be sort of, you know, doing, working in a corporate Though I'm interested in that, but, you know, how can I sort of leave this? That's like the zone that I would want to be. What will other people... I'm I'm working in a belief structure, right? So if that is also not aligned, mm-hmm. that will also not lead to happiness. So how can you sort of reach to a stage... So you're saying that happiness is the, in, intersection, the intersection, intersection of, of interest, needs and beliefs, you know? And how do you really understand this? Once you understand what interests are, first of all, conceptually, then you apply it to your and really lay down that this is... I know that this is my interest is and this can actually convert into deep passion. Then you understand what my needs are and you really understand what psychological needs really mean, you know, the autonomy, competence and and relatedness that I really talked about. Those are the psychological needs that every human being eventually is looking for. And then you break it down and you understand the concepts and understand it, how it applies to your context. And then you also understand how beliefs really work, your beliefs. Then you are sort of moving towards a decision and that's like a burger that you would really want to eat you know eventually because life is not short and life is long so follow your passion is a bad advice but not follow your passion completely also is a stupid advice how can you really build find a balance of these three things no, i think that's, i love that i that's think this is yeah is. i think this is a
0: really uh interesting and i i, I love this because. You have looked at needs, you have looked at interest, and you have also looked at your own beliefs. Yeah. Because oftentimes we also forget to look at beliefs when we are trying to make such decisions. Yeah. And uh, while belief plays such a huge role in how
1: we are correct, correct, and this, in yeah. fact, this leads me to another mental model. Mm. You know. Yeah. And uh, in fact, this. two mental models yeah. that I would want to share, and there's just so much that I can share. Yeah.
0: Just but just before you go to the other two other mental models, like. For example, this uh, hamburger test that you said, right? Whenever you you have a decision to make, do you take your decision and run through this test? Absolutely. And then say like, okay, let me list down what are the pros of this. What are the essentially the testy things about this? And also list down what are the healthy or unhealthy thing about this? Just make a list of this and see which burger
1: is it. Yeah. Or where this yeah. particular thing falls yeah. in, and then you yeah. see this. This sounds very simple, no? Mm. When I say this, yeah. But the reality is that we don't do this exercise, yeah. And when I were when I'm saying that that we're working in an automated zone mm. and a reflected brain modes, there are two brain modes. Mm. You know, if we are not doing that, then how are we reflecting? Yeah. What is your process of introspection? Do we even understand what introspection really means? These are the tools of introspection. You know, this is a tool that how you can actually say that, okay, I'm not going to look at the first thing that comes to my mind. I'm not going to look at the obvious thing of like creating a different colored spectacle. Mm -hmm. I'm going to look at how, you know, what are the pros and cons? I'm going to step back, zoom out, you know, be the doctor and not just the patient in my mind and then come up with a solution. And these are tools of being reflective Mm -hmm. in your mind. So this sounds simple, but uh, I can bet you, people at the highest level. I've been a CFO, you know, and I've worked with investors and I've raised like millions of dollars. I know how, uh, you know, investor decisions are made. I know how uh, due diligences are really concluded. Uh, There's a lot of instinctive gut feeling that we really work on, emotions that we really work on. And that's the whole work. Can we regulate our emotions you know, understand how the mind functions, understand the identity of the mind, and then eventually go to the, do the work of changing our belief structure with a, you know, proper methodology to eventually then come up with instincts and emotions that work for us. That's the whole journey. And these mental models are just the beginning of uh, of getting deeper. And this takes me to the next mental model. Two mental models you were talking about, yeah. So the other one that, you know, I really uh, love Actually, uh, I call it the double loop thinking, you know, which goes one step beyond scientific thinking. Scientific thinking is that, you know, you sort of have a question, you do an assumption, you test it out, and then you maybe go back, you know, you generalize, you know, you you keep revolving around this test only. But the double loop thinking is that can maybe you missing out something, you know, we are right now moving around that anchor only. Can I go back, reflect, and first of all, think that is the anchor that I've set mm. is that correct? Mm. Also, not. Mm. And I've given enough examples yeah. of that. So it's basically de- delving deeper into the belief structure. The belief structure. You know? mm. Is the problem? So essentially uh, questioning. Yeah. Yeah. What do believe Is the problem, and how does how did those beliefs really come? Why do I why do I think the way I think? Mm. You know, why am I thinking in this direction? Have I questioned that? Say for example, if I say that okay, I I feel a negative emotion by uh, not spending enough time with my parents. Okay. So I would go ahead and say that what, first of all, figure out what that negative emotion is. Is that sadness? Is that guilt? Is that anxiety? What is it? Do I understand what sadness is? Do I understand what anxiety is? We really think that negative emotion is just one thing, but there's just a million things that actually make negative emotions, you know? So uh, we have to go to that level. And so I figure out that, okay, there's guilt. How is this guilt coming from? This guilt is coming from one of the notions that I hold in my belief structure that I should be spending time with my parents. Where did that belief come from? How did it become a part of my subconscious? Why do I think that I should be spending more quantity time instead of quality time, you know? So structure that. Maybe you're correct in that guilt. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're not. But at least you're giving yourself that you have that arsenal that you're, Mm. you know, you're going deep down and questioning that, which is double loop Mm. thinking, you know, so we really work on a surface level. And that's Mm. when, you know, once you understand the science of emotions, and I'll I'll touch upon Mm. that as well, Mm. uh, if time permits, but that's when you start really changing your life. And the next uh, mental model, which, you know, I really think is the key that everyone should follow. And, you know, briefly I've touched upon that, is really first principles thinking. Mm. How can you really simplify things? Mm. Richard Feynman, you know, who's like one of the famous uh, physicists uh, of his time, he had this mental model and Elon Musk, in fact, people are followers of his or not. That doesn't uh, really make a difference, but the way he thinks is different. Uh, And Richard Feynman really said that if you have a problem, can you go ahead and explain it to a child? Child, you know, yeah. If you can actually explain it to a child, then you have understood it. You have broken down the peels and the layers of everything and you know that this is what the essential, fundamental crux of that situation is. This is why I understand why I feel guilt. This is why I understand why my business should not work you know, or should work. So that's first principles thinking. For example, if you people understand in examples, uh, we kind of understand that how the plane flies but if we were to sort of bring it down to the level that is so basic like if we would put our hand out in front of a moving car you know which is like moving car we put our hand in uh, out of the window and you know uh, we will see that our hand is not falling down you know if the car is running at a particular speed so we know that okay there are few forces that are working there are this speed of the car that is like you know moving the hand forward then there is this speed, you know, force underneath the hand, which is uh, sort of keeping us up. You know, that thrust is sort of not making the hand go down because of gravity. And then there is speed, and you know, there's force in front of this thing. So if you, I'm just trying to give you an example that if you like really break down the things at that perceptual level of thinking and make it so simple, you'll really then be able to understand high level of thinking. And for that, my friend, we have to understand what thinking really is. You know, you have to understand, we think that, okay, imagination, there's just so much that goes on in our mind. You know, that imagination is thinking or the emotions that we feel is thinking or the memory that we have, with remembering something that's thinking, but that's really not thinking. And I talk really deep into my, in my course, you know, called The Logic of Thinking. But thinking is uh, when you're actually understanding the cause and effect. Once you have the arsenal to understand that these are the similar things in this, this is the, dif- you know, once you can take out the similarities, the differences between things, once you can actually reach to the core of what the issue is, to reach to the essential items, and then you can integrate it with a lot of other things and eventually make a conclusion and a hypothesis or a, a generalization. That's what thinking is. And how do we really do this in any situation? That's the work once we start doing this work that's when we start changing our belief structure that's when we start changing our emotions as well so it's all scientific really you know there is you have to do the hard work mindful training you know can only get you this much but if you really want to make a difference in your life you have to understand that there is just one identity of the mind you know this is how the mind functions this is a universal identity and there is no other way and no escape route out if you want to solve things from the core Then you have to do the work and really dig deep. Wow. That's a lot (laughs) uh, of uh,
0: information. Ashish, and I'm sure somebody who's listening to this is like, wow, that's like a lot of information on my mind, how I can think about the mental models and everything that you've shared. So let's talk about one last thing, which is uh, the science of emotion you mentioned. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like you think there's a science to our emotions as yeah, well? Yeah, of course, of okay. course, there is. You know, so how we really perceive emotion is that, you know, we see something and then we feel. Mm-hmm. So we're perceiving something, we see like our boss and there's immediate feeling that is happening. We see a good movie, we see, uh, we see uh, you know, a great actor performing and there's immediate feeling. We see a great piece of art, you know, hear a great piece of art or music and a feeling gets generated. So that feeling really is emotion. Everything is happening in a millisecond, you know. We don't have time to really generate emotions. Emotions get generated automatically. But your emotions actually is a result of all that, all the character, the subconscious, the the structure that you've actually built in yourself. That's reflecting what, uh, in in a form of feeling. So there is a lot of evaluation that is happening between perception and feeling. And what is that evaluation, which I mentioned, there is this new information that is coming in, it is getting scanned in your subconscious, all the associated feelings, uh, things, you know, thoughts are getting highlighted, and becoming available for you. Like if you watch a horror movie, everything gets getting highlighted. If you are spending time with your spouse, uh, who you really love, everything is really getting coming to you to the surface at that time. Everything is happening in fraction of a second, less than a second also. And it is resulting in a form of of thinking, So, you know, if we really understand, first of all, that this is what is happening, that is when we get, give ourselves the access to really go ahead and change it. If we think that emotion is also thinking, then we can never change it. Mm-hmm. Emotion is the result, really, mm-hmm. of, our thinking. of our thinking. You know, mm-hmm. it is not thinking. So if you're feeling sad, you're not thinking and, say, and feeling sad. It's something that you've stored in your mind because of the way you've been thinking or not thinking, so to say, and, you know, classified something in your mind and, you know, subconscious in a particular folder, which is termed as sadness and a new information is coming. It's interacting with that and it is changing that. So if you get the science of really classifying things in your mind and putting it into the right folders. That's when you start solving things. So if you have a, say for example, if you have a desktop and all the files are just stored on the desktop, you're going to go crazy, right? That's why there is a system of folders. That's why there's a methodology of classification, you know? So our mind works like that. It subconsciously put things in folders. And if you've put the wrong file in the folder, you know, if you don't know how to really reach to the definition of that file, first of all. What is the essential characteristic of that file? And if you don't have the tools to really put it into the right folder, you will always be confused. So that's really the, in a very broad way, the science of emotions, you know. But but it will take another three uh, or four podcasts to really get deeper into this whole uh, basic science of emotions as well. I can completely see
0: that that yeah. is going to take a week we can go on and on yeah uh but ashish this has been such a great great conversation and uh like i was saying earlier the amount of information and knowledge that you've shared on this topic i think there's a lot for anybody who's checking this to chew upon i hope so that's then, the whole endeavor yeah you know, and go the... down the rabbit hole and for anybody who's looking at going deeper and understanding understanding this then uh jam with ashish.com yeah that's your website that's where good. he has got two courses you can check those out and uh, and go deeper into this topic uh thank you so much
1: thank you thank you vijay it was it was wonderful and the work that you guys are doing it's amazing
0: hey thank you so much for listening to this episode if you enjoyed listening to this i want you to do two things for me number 1 if you're listening to this on apple podcasts or spotify subscribe to the podcast and give five-star ratings. This will help me attract more listeners to this podcast and take this information to a wider audience so that we can help more people grow in their life. And second, share this episode with at least three people in your network who you think need to hear this episode. You never know, just by sharing this episode, you can help them transform their life. Be that person who helps others grow in their life. Thanks again for listening to this episode. I'll catch you in the next. Now, go out there and do something inspiring.